You know, I, I can remember when I first started preaching, uh, well, before I started preaching, I remember as a teenager, I was asked to speak at church like we do here sometimes, and uh, I remember thinking, I said, well, you know, it'll probably be about 10 minutes. I thought, 10 minutes, there's no way in the world. And I know somebody think, Lord, we, we long for the good old days. I, 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 uh, I record and try to post the messages online, and I've had a couple that went 45 minutes, and I said, Lord, have mercy on those people, 45 minutes worth, but... You know, I was thinking back, I do, I do thank all of you, and you know, it's uh, just been an honor, it's been an honor to be your pastor uh, for the last 15 years. As I've shared before, uh, it, it's hard for me to recognize that young boy now, uh, or sometimes even to think that he actually existed, but he did. Uh, but a 19-year-old teenager, uh, January 1983, you know, like most boys, I was looking for a girl. And uh, I thought I'd found one at college. And uh, we went to a new song concert. That was our first date over at Stokesville Baptist Church in Atkinson County. I was late, by the way. I was working at Harvey Supermarket, and uh, uh, I got lost on the Well, I didn't get off work when I thought I was going to get off work. And then I got lost on the way to Lloyd's house. How could you do that, right? The other side of Ambrose and Ray. But uh, no GPS, obviously. And now I know Loy well enough to know she was mad when I got there. But uh, I, I didn't know her well enough at the time. I think she thought I'd stood her up and wasn't going to show up. But, uh, but we went to uh, the, the uh, concert, and then she invited me to come to her church one Sunday. So uh, that was probably Jan- January 83, might have been early February. And I, was not, I looked back, just thought back in my mind how old was I. I had just turned 18. I was only a couple of months past my 18th birthday and went to church over there in the old sanctuary. And it's interesting that you did not have a pastor. I say you, many of you weren't born at that time, but, but you, speaking as Satilla Baptist Church, did not have a pastor in January of 1983. And I remember, and I've, as I've shared with you before, I can't remember most of the sermons I've preached, much less the ones I've heard. But for some reason, I remember that sermon... Uh, that a lay member, Ron Carver, was speaking that Sunday morning. And I remember that sermon very vividly that he gave. And the title of his message or the text, the main theme was, Jesus himself drew near. And he spoke on the road to Emmaus, how the disciples were on the road to Emmaus and they became, they were very discouraged because Jesus had been crucified and had died and uh, they didn't know why. And uh, there's, she's already started, or he's already started the celebration early. Yeah. That's next Sunday we're going to celebrate. That's okay. Uh, we're crying this Sunday. We'll be celebrating next Sunday. But uh, th- those disciples were very discouraged, and there's a passage that says Jesus himself drew near. And I remember the whole point of that message was that when you are in a low point in your life, when you are going through difficulty, when you don't understand Jesus himself, draws near. should have been a lesson to me as an, a, a preacher that the simplest messages are the best. You know, those are the ones that people remember. And so that was my first introduction to this church. I did not know this church existed prior to that. And obviously, Loy and I continued to date and eventually got married in July of 1986 there in the old sanctuary and attended church here. And I think of so many wonderful memories I have as, a, as just a member of Satilla Baptist Church before I was ordained. Uh, you know, I mean, we got a little baby buried out there. Uh, but I remember, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, the Christmas that Lloyd was pregnant, 
she was pregnant during Christmas that year. And uh, we, we played Mary and Joseph in the play. I just remember that. But, uh, and then she lost the baby, I think, in April of the next year. And uh, that was a great, uh, obviously a great, some of you have gone through the, that type of thing. And I see Donald Pope back there. And uh, I remember Donald and Linda Kay uh, came to mine and Lloyd's house. Uh, everybody was kind to us. But, you know, sometimes in things like that, it's not something that you really, uh, you don't really know how to, you know, it's not like a normal death. You know, you're not sure to tell people or, or, or what. Keep it secret. But, you know, Donald and Linda Kay had had a lot of issues and with trying to have children at that time in their life. But I remember them coming to our house and sitting down and talking to us and encouraging us. I don't really remember what they said. That What they said really wasn't important. It was the fact they came. They came. And uh, that I've always remembered that. And, you know, we adopted Cody and Casey, and I remember a shower we had uh, right after we got them. And uh, so much about, you know, having them at that time. And then when I was ordained into ministry, it was in 1996 here in this sanctuary. Y'all had just moved into this sanctuary at that time and went to Pastor Mount Pleasant over in Snipesville. And, you know, God blessed us there and we had a great ministry there. Then went to my original home church, Mount Zion, in Axon in 2000 and pastored there for four years. And then we came to Satilla, Lloyd's home church. And we were out of home churches, so I guess that's the end of... of uh, I don't have anywhere else to go to pastor, really. I've, I've exhausted the people that know me. Uh, friends and family and cousins, there's, there, there's nowhere else to go. But Then we came here in 2005, and uh, you know, I just have been greatly honored uh, to be your pastor. And uh, although we won't be attending here on a regular basis, uh, not that we wouldn't feel welcome, but, but we just, you know, I'm sure we'll be back from time to time. And, We'll find out when y'all are having a big meal. Gary, let us know when you're doing the roast beef, and we'll, uh, uh, we'll be back to eat. We'll be like normal church members. We'll come. We'll have it every Sunday. Yeah. We'll come when there's food to be eaten and, and some celebration. But I had to get one dig in there. But no, uh, you know, and, and I'm... I'm not really going to preach this morning, but I am going to share uh, from Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and, and I've shared some from this uh, before. But this is probably the closest we come to in Scripture to what we in the modern church have when a pastor leaves a congregation. Uh, Acts chapter 20, Paul was not a pastor. Paul was an apostle. He didn't pastor a church as, as I'm called to do. Uh, he was an apostle. He went around and, and, and he spread the Word of God in, in new places and started new ministries. But the closest he ever came to pastoring was the Ephesian church. He stayed there three years and he became very close to those people in Ephesus. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read some from this passage before. But I just want to try to bring out some, some points here from this passage and just share uh, not at all. Uh, please understand, I will never compare myself to the apostle Paul. However, the Apostle Paul is an example to any pastor, to any preacher, any spiritual leader of any kind. The Apostle Paul is a model 
that we should try to emulate. So when we see as he meets with the elders of the church at Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, he meets with them and, and, and in essence he says goodbye. He says goodbye to those Ephesian elders. And, and I think there is so many truths that we can see in that passage that are encouraging to me and I pray and I hope will be encouraging to you. So let me go ahead and, and get into that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 18, he's meeting with the elders of the church of Ephesus and it says in verse 18, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept nothing that was, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out and he says, you know, and I could say that to you. I've been here 15 years. There are things you know. There are things I might wish you didn't know that you know. But you know many things about me. I can't really tell you anything about me. And Paul, he tells the church at Ephesus or the elders, he says, you know. And he first of all says, you know the walk, the manner that I lived among you. And uh, the Lord knows I'm not perfect along with Lois. She's aware of it as well. But I'm not perfect, but I have tried to live among you as a Christian. Just forget about being a preacher. I mean, if we all would simply try to live as Christians, and I have tried to live that way among you, that has been my walk. And you know my walk. You know my walk. And then Paul says, serving the Lord. And Paul says, not only did you are you aware of my walk, but you are aware of my witness. That I was not simply trying to live a moral life among you, but that I was serving the Lord. And I pray and I hope that if, if, if you don't remember anything I ever said here as the preacher, that you would remember my life, my walk as a Christian, and my witness to the Lord. And then he says something else. He says, and also, he says, with many tears and trials which happened to me. You know my war. You see, we all have wars. This life is a battle that we go through. All of us, you know, when I was younger, I, I, when I mentioned earlier about being that 19-year-old boy that, that showed up at Satilla in 1983 at the invitation of my girlfriend, Lloyd, uh, one of the reasons I say, you know, did he really exist? Because I think of how, how, how innocent and naive that little, he was, he, was, he was little, only about 140 pounds, six foot one. That was a sight to behold. Um, <laughs> String bean could have been my name. But I think about how innocent and naive that boy was. And I had no clue of the tears and the trials that life... I, I have got great joy, but I also had, had no clue, inclination of tears and trials that, that I would face. But you, you know some of those. You have been with us. as You all know the death of Cody... I mean, the greatest uh, trial, I, nothing can ever happen to me in my life, no matter what it might be, uh, that would compare to that. But you were there. You were there. And, and I, so many of you, again, I talked about Donald and Linda Kay coming when we lost our, our baby, uh, and how many of you came, and you came to the house, and I don't, you know, you're in a stupor at a moment like that. But it, listen, it, and it taught me a great lesson as a preacher, 
You know, one of my great weaknesses is I think I always have to say something. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know how many times we've gone somewhere and Lord says, shh, be quiet, be quiet, hush, hush. And I need that because, I, I you know, it's my weakness. I think I've, I've got to say something. And, and uh, I, I don't remember anything any of you said, really, but I remember your faces. I remember you were there. And that... I hope I learned from that, that when you want to comfort somebody, it's not important what you say. As a matter of fact, Job teaches us that. You know, everything was great when Job's three friends showed up and wept and cried with him and sat in sackcloth and ashes. It's when they opened their mouth that trouble began. You know, and I I try to remember, it's not important what you say to somebody when they're struggling, when they're in a time of great pain. Just just hug their neck. Just be there. Just, Just love them. That's all you've got to do. And you were there. You know my war, the tears and the trials that we faced while we were here. And then Paul says, he says, serving the Lord with all humility, and I kept nothing back that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, both Jews and Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You know my word. I have tried to preach to you the word of God as I understand it. I you know, we were talking in Sunday school, and, and there are many issues that, that, that we wrestle with as believers. And I would certainly say I do not have all knowledge. I'm still learning. I'm still learning, but I'm yielded to Scripture. I, I pray that God will teach me more and, and that I would know fully His way. And until I have no more breath within me or my heart ceases to beat, I'm going to keep trying to learn. And, and I want to keep trying to proclaim and, and preach His Word. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to share His Word. And I, you know the Word that I've shared. I've tried to preach the Word of God to you as I understand it. And he says to Jews and Gentiles, you know, it's, uh, it's been a blessing to me to come in here. And, and this congregation from time to time is quite diverse. You know, we, we'll see people and this church ministers to people of all races and creeds and nationalities. You don't have to uh, check a box at the back and be a certain race to come in here or be, you know, act a certain way or be a certain way. The church is a hospital, by the way. You know, I've often said, if you want to see what a church ought to look like on Sunday morning, go to the emergency room on Saturday night. That's a motley crew in there. Some emergency room physicians, if you know any, you could ask them and they might could tell you. That's a motley crew on Saturday night. Well, you know, the church on Sunday morning is a place where people who are hurting should come. And sinners are welcome at God's house. It is a place where we should invite sinners. As a matter of fact, we had a discussion this morning. Now, that doesn't mean that we should live like sinners and we should embrace people's sin, but, but sinners are welcome. And so we preach and we teach to everybody. But then he goes down to verse 22. He says, And see now, he first of all says, and you know. So there are things that, that you know about me and, and that I pray that will be a positive influence. The walk that I've had, the witness, the war, and the word that I've tried to proclaim to you. But then he's, Paul says, see now. In other words, he's telling them, well, this is what I did while I was among you, but now there's a new reality. Paul says, but see now. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The first thing that he says they see, and this would be something for all of us to see, is the reason. 
Paul says, I'm leaving you at Ephesus now, and I'm leaving because I am bound in the Spirit. Paul was simply saying, I must go to Jerusalem. I have a great leading, a great urging to go. And as I've shared with you, I've prayed about this and and I've wrestled with this for really a couple of years. And I say I'm bound in the Spirit in that I feel that this is what God is calling me to do. I'm not going to pastor another church. I'm, I may pastor another church at some point, but I have no intention of taking another church, at least for some period of time, take a sabbatical from pastoring. I'll be glad to preach if somebody wants me to preach from time to time. But I feel that it is time for me to step aside as the pastor of Stella Baptist Church and just begin to seek God for what he wants me to do in my life. That is my bound in the Spirit. And and Paul says, you see now, Paul says, I leave you because I feel God leading me to do so. And so that is the reason that I'm living, leaving. And then notice he also says, he says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. That's a reality. The reality is I don't know what my future holds in terms of ministry. And that is a reality for you as a church. You don't know what your future holds. That's one of the reasons it's so uh, upsetting uh, when a pastor leaves most of the time is because it brings a certain level of uncertainty. There's uncertainty in the church. And, and, and maybe you're not sure what's going to happen. So there's the reality that there is uncertainty ahead. But then Paul goes on to say, but none of these things move me, but he says, I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus. He talks about a resolve that he has. And that resolve that Paul has is that he might finish his race faithfully and finish it with joy. That is a resolve that I have. I don't know what waits for me in the future, but whatever it is, I want to be faithful to God's call upon my life and to finish my race and to hear Him say when it all is done, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is the same resolve that you should have as a church. You should have the resolve that, that although you may not know and you may have a certain level of anxiety about, you know, what are we going to do and, and you know, how, how are things going to work, but you need to have a resolve that I'm going to finish my time as a member or as a deacon, as a teacher, whatever your position is here at this church, that I am going to do my call faithfully, that I'm going to finish my call to the Lord with joy and finish the race that He's given me to run. And then uh, you look there um, in verse number 25. He says, And indeed now I know that you all whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Two words there, remembrance and responsibility. Now, I hope we'll see each other again, and I'm sure we will run into one another from time to time. But you will not see my face as your pastor. And I will not see your face as my sheep that God has given me to shepherd the little less, to be the little shepherd over. In that way, it will be different. Now, Paul, as best we know, he never saw these people again. He was going to Jerusalem. And so this was truly a farewell. And they would not meet again this side of eternity. But, but we will, most likely. Most of us will. But it will be in a different way. And so I have a great remembrance of you as a church. And as a congregation. 
And I hope that you have a positive remembrance of me. But then responsibility. Paul mentions that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Now that's a massive statement for Paul to make. I'm afraid I don't know that I can make that statement because I can think of times that maybe God prompted me to say something and maybe I didn't say it or, or, or maybe I should have said this and, and, and I didn't. So, you know, I don't know that I can join with Paul and make that bold statement that I am innocent of the blood of all men, but I try to be innocent of the blood of all men. And, and, and the passage that Paul is referring to, the reason he uses that terminology is over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33, there's a principle called the principle of the watchman. And and most of you know this passage, but I'll read just a couple of verses here. Ezekiel 33 verse 1. He says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land... If he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. That's where Paul gets that passage, that thought, innocent of the blood of all men. Paul no doubt was very familiar with that passage from Ezekiel. And Paul recognized that he was a watchman as Ezekiel was a watchman. And as a preacher of God's Word, I am a spiritual watchman. And I have a responsibility to share with you the truth of God's Word. And that is my responsibility. And if I, if I shrink from that responsibility, if I fail to boldly declare and share what the Word of God says and give you God's Word... Though it may offend you, though it, though it may anger you, whatever it may do, I have not done my duty. And, and your blood, your blood spiritually will be on my hand. So Paul has said that I am innocent from the blood of all men. So I have tried, as I have shared with you before, to be responsible in my sharing of God's Word so that, that you know what God's Word says. And then you have the responsibility of whether you will listen or not. And then he goes on in verse 28. He says, Therefore, take heed. Now, Paul, in essence, has been talking about his ministry at Ephesus. And he's kind of been going back over it and recounting that with the Ephesians. But now he changes gear a little bit. And now he's giving them some instructions. He's telling now, now here's some things that you need to pay attention to. He says, Take heed to yourselves. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased 
with his own blood. Now, I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. He, he says to take heed, first of all, to yourselves. That's personal. You all have a responsibility. We talk about having revival in the church, and you all know the passage that revival begins with me. Uh, and listen, if you want God to move in Satilla Baptist Church, then He must first of all move in you personally. You can't, you can't make Satilla Church have revival. But what you can do is, is make yourself be revived. And so Paul says to the Ephesian elders, take heed first of all to yourself. And then he says, take heed to all the flock. That's the people. That's the people. You are all responsible for one another. God has called you to encourage and to uplift and to reach out to one another. And you know, oftentimes people look at the poor, that's the preacher. He's going to do it. Well, I'm sure I haven't done it as well as I should, but I'm about to not do it at all because I'm not going to be here. And so you need to look to your neighbor. And if you know of someone who is struggling, you know of someone who is in need, take heed not only to yourself, but to all the flock of God. You know, take the incentive to reach out to someone and encourage them and, and look after them as a sheep, as a shepherd would look after his sheep. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And of course, he was talking to the elders of the Ephesian church. But let me just say that all, all of you, you have three deacons that are active and then you've got many leaders in different positions and in the church, teachers and, and uh, uh, workers in different areas. But you don't have to have a position to serve God. And so God has called you to look after one another as believers. And it's interesting that Paul makes a statement in verse 29. Remember in verse number 18, he says, You know... He says, here's some things you know. You know about me, things that, that I did in your midst. But now Paul turns around and he says, I know. Now here's something I know, Paul says. And it's interesting to me that Paul didn't say, now look out, this might happen. Paul didn't say, you know, this is a possibility. It's interesting that Paul very emphatically and confidently makes a statement, I know this. Here's something I know is going to happen. He says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, again, I talked a little bit about the wolves last week, I believe it was, or week before. Paul says, here's a promise I give you. You're going to have problems. And I think often in a church, you know, one of the goals that, that most churches has is, well, we just don't want to have problems. You know, we don't want to have problems. And what Paul is saying, forget that. You're going to have problems. It's like a marriage. I think I've shared this story before. I, I may post this on the Internet, so I, whoever told me that many, many years ago, they might hear this and I'll be in trouble. But I'm going to go ahead and share it. I remember at a job I had once, uh, uh, this lady, we were talking about, you know, our marriages and how, you know, well, you know, we get an argument, we say this, we get an argument, we say that. And I remember this lady says, me and my husband don't argue. We said, you know what now? We never argue. I thought, well, you know, I call myself a Christian trying to live, uh, you know, by the word of God. But I tell you, me and Lloyd, we'll get in a, in a real good one occasionally. And... Uh, you know, they never argue. How's that possible? I think it was less than a year had went by. And 
her and her husband that never argued were divorced, and she was marrying a gal out there in the workplace where, where we all worked together. And I always remember that. We never argue. We never argue. You see, there's no relationship without problems. You are going to argue if you're a spouse. If your goal, if you're a, a couple dating and your goal is we're never going to argue, that's not going to happen. You better get you a different goal. Because you're going to argue. The goal is not we're never going to argue. The goal needs to be how are we going to, how are we going to handle the arguments? How are we going to, as I love a, a sermon that Adrian Rogers preached many, many years ago, how to fight fair. You know, you want a good sermon on, on, on husband-wife relations, look that one up on the internet. How to fight fair. You're going to argue, and if you want to have a relationship, you've got to learn how to fight fair in your marriage and, and not be dirty, not fight dirty and try to hurt the other person, but, but, you know, disagree, but disagree and be able to go through it. Well, that's like a church. If your goal in a church is we're never going to have problems, that might, that's not going to happen. You might think you don't have problems, but there will be problems. that They're out there. And they might be an undercurrent somewhere. You're going to have problems. The thing is, as a church, how do we deal with our problems? Not let's keep ourselves from having them, but we're going to have them. He talks about the wolves from without. That's obviously a preacher or someone who comes in and, and teaches false doctrine. You've got to be aware of that. And then he talks about wolves from within. That's someone within the church who's creating problems and controversy. But then he says the wolves within us, and I preached on that last week, that's the sin within each of us that, that we must be on guard against. He says, therefore watch and remember. So as a congregation, I would encourage you to watch and remember. You must be on guard and be on guard to serve God. Be on guard against problems and remember God's Word. And then he lastly says, so now brethren, Paul is the favorite words of every congregant in closing. In closing, Paul is saying, so now, so now, brethren, I've shared these things that you know about me. I've shared these things that I know are going, you're going to face. And so how does Paul sum it all up in verse number 32? He says, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I commend you to God and the word of His grace. That is a comfort. Paul told the Ephesian elders, I'm not going to be here to answer questions. I'm not going to be here uh, to share week to week and day to day. But what I'm going to do, I'm commending you. I'm commending you to God and the word of His grace. I, I like what somebody said in, in Sunday school this morning. They said, Brother William, we love you. But you know... You, you don't define Satilla Baptist Church. You're not Satilla Baptist Church. God defines Satilla Baptist Church. And that's what Paul was saying. Listen, you're not being commended to Paul. I, Paul, am commending you to God and the word of His grace who is able. He is able to help you and sustain you and give you an inheritance to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So, so finally, brethren, or even so, brethren, now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of His grace. And it's interesting to me, before Paul closes, it's almost like he has an afterthought. You know, his last subject 
After he says that, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. He says in verse 33, before they pray, he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. By the way, someone gave me this advice when I first started preaching and I've often thought about it. He says, he says listen, uh, he said, you want to stay out of trouble as a pastor? He said, let me give you three things to never lay a hand on. Three things. I'll start with G. The gold, the girls, and the glory. If you'll leave those three G's alone, you'll not have a problem. Leave the gold alone. Leave the girls alone. And leave the glory to God. You don't take those three things and God can use you. And in essence, Paul is saying, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's like Paul goes back and says, oh, by the way, don't forget to, to tithe. Don't forget to give. You know, don't forget to give. Don't forget to be generous in your giving. Paul says, I did that when I was among you, and you should do that. You know, I've often said there's two books that you can look and find out what's really important to a man or a woman. Their appointment book, how they spend their time, and their checkbook, how they spend their money. So a person that says, I love Jesus, and they never go to church, and they never give any money to God's work, I don't know. You go figure that out, okay? It doesn't compute. If you love Jesus, you're going to worship Him, and you're going to fellowship with His people, and you're going to give financially to His work. So that's the last thing that Paul says. And then the Bible says in verse number 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. You can let, leave that part off, by the way. If you'd like. <laughs> Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. It has been a great honor for me to be your pastor. And I love each of you. You're all different. And, you know, the, you know, the, the preacher, they're just one of me, right? But the congregation, there are so many of you, and, and all of you have your own different uh, personalities. And over the years, I've got to know uh, many of you very well. And, and I love you, and you will always be a part of mine and Lloyd's life. And we'll be back. You haven't got rid of us that easy. I mean, we'll, we'll be back from time to time. When you least expect us, we'll, uh, uh, we'll show up. But I, I love you. And remember, the place, the, the verse that I shared when I first announced that I felt God leading me to resign was there is a time and a purpose to every season. And it's one thing I've learned as I'm getting older in years that life is a, is a series of seasons. And we go through a season and we need to enjoy that season because that season, you know, again, I, I can barely remember that 19-year-old boy that sat in that church over there. But he did exist. He really did exist. That was a season in my life. That season is gone. Now, I've been through a season these last 15 years where I've been honored to serve as the under-shepherd for your great shepherd, who will never resign, by the way. Your great shepherd will never resign. But he, he had me here as an under-shepherd. And now my time, my season has ended, and there will be another under-shepherd who will come 
And He will be God's man and lead you. And I will, as Paul told the Ephesian elders, I commend you to God and the word of His grace. And that's what I do to Cecil Baptist Church, each one of you. I commend you to God. I commend each of you to God and the word of His grace. And I know that God will bless you and keep you. And I pray and expect to hear great and wonderful things. Listen, it would not make me jealous. It would make me happy to hear that this church had expanded and multiplied in great abundance and built on. And I pray that that's what God will do in this place, that God will revive and touch each heart. And and we're going to have a different closing than we normally do. Uh, We're not going to have an invitation per se. But the Bible says that when Paul had finished speaking to the Ephesian elders, that he knelt down and prayed with them all. And that's how I want to close this morning. I want you to stand and, and I... I just want, I know there's probably not enough room here at the altar, but you're welcome to come here if you'd like. And if not, just reach across the aisle and grab someone's hand. And I just want to lead in prayer and pray for you as the body of Christ at Satilla. And you know, tonight, I will be back tonight at 6 o'clock, and, and uh, we will just have a time. I don't plan on preaching a sermon, uh, but, but we'll just kind of have a time of fellowship and prayer and, and sharing. Um, but this morning... Maybe the last time I see some of you as your pastor, um, because most of you won't be back tonight based on previous uh, experience. <laughs> That's my last dig, I promise. Uh, but I just want to have a word of prayer with you. And I want to do, as Paul and the Ephesian elders, you know, many things are different. I'm not Paul, and you're not the church at Ephesus. Uh, but the one thing that is the same is that relationship of a shepherd and the sheep and that bonding that comes. And, and I, I love you and I'm going to pray and, and I'm going to pray that God will, will guide you and lead you. So, bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And Lord, we know that one of the names that Jesus is given is the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. And God, what an honor it is for me to be called into a ministry where I am also called a shepherd, just as the good shepherd. And God, I pray and ask you to forgive me where I have failed at times as the shepherd of this flock and maybe uh, missed saying something or wasn't there when I should have been there. I ask you to forgive me for that. But God, I pray for these people. And I pray, God, that you will guide them and lead them. I pray you will protect them from wolves and harm. Lord, that you will just fill them with a desire to be ever closer to you. And God, the, the idea, maybe a little bit of anxiety that may come of not having a pastor, that rather than being a negative, it will be a plus. And God, it will draw people closer to you and, and they will have a desire to lean upon you, the good shepherd and the great shepherd, to lean not upon man, but upon you. I pray that you protect them and keep them. I pray, God, that you guide them and lead them, that you send the Holy Spirit. God, that you send men to speak and guide and lead. And I pray for wisdom for the leadership. And I pray for unity for the congregation. And above all things, I pray for the love of God and the peace of God that passes all understanding to rest upon this body and to rest upon every individual member of this body. And again, I thank you for the privilege and the responsibility of standing in this pulpit for these last 15 years and serving as the shepherd of this body. And I pray you will help me to finish my race with joy wherever you might send me or whatever I might do. I give myself to you. And I thank you for this people. I thank you, God, for the children. 
I'm going to miss the adults, but I'm going to miss the children most. I thank you for these children, Lord, who have hugged my neck and told me they love me. And in the innocence of childhood, could not comprehend what that meant to me. And I pray for these young boys and girls that are children now, going through a season of innocence and youth, but soon will be adults faced with great temptations and great, great decisions to be made. I pray for these young children. I pray that you will cover them with your spirit, that you will guide them, and I pray that you will raise up great men and women of God from these children. Lord, that they will serve you in spirit and in truth. And we know we live in a dark world that truly needs the light and love of the gospel. And I pray, God, that you will raise up a generation of these young people who will truly be a light in a very dark place, who will be full of your spirit and your grace. And Lord, will just spread your word all wherever you may send them, whether in this community or anywhere across the world that they would be men and women of grace and power, full of your love and your spirit. Again, Lord, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.